Hello, this is Anthony Day with another edition of the Sustainable Futures Show. Free energy. Yes, we'd all like that, wouldn't we? I seem to remember in the 60s, yes, I'm old enough to remember that, people talking about electricity that would be too cheap to meter. It was fusion energy, and it was going to be made from seawater. This week I went to a presentation by Dr Roddy Van of the University of York, who explained that this was still possible, and also explained why we haven't quite got there yet. Our current nuclear power stations use nuclear fission, which is basically splitting the atom. Nuclear fusion involves bringing atoms together. Roddy Van explained this much more elegantly, and had a couple of experimental rigs on the stage to demonstrate not actual fusion, but uh, important principles. Both fission reactions and fusion reactions generate vast amounts of heat. The difference with fusion is threefold. First of all, it's safer because the reaction cannot run away and cause meltdown, such as happened at Chernobyl and Three Mile Island. Secondly, it is relatively environmentally clean. It creates far less radioactivity, and therefore decommissioning is simpler because the radioactivity in components declines to little more than background level in only about a 100 years. This compares to tens of thousands of years for the residues from fission reactors. Finally, there is an abundant source of fuel because deuterium can indeed be extracted from seawater. We were also told that the amount of lithium in a mobile phone battery when used in a fusion reactor could provide the energy for an individual consumer's whole lifetime. Given that fusion experiments have been under development since the 1960s, why have we not yet achieved success? One reason is that there are undoubtedly serious technical challenges. A fusion reactor is a highly complex unit and the extreme temperatures generated mean that whatever materials are chosen, they're rapidly damaged. The other reason is the cost of the project. The JET, or Joint European Taurus, has been in operation near Oxford in the UK for some time. The next project, known as ITER, I-T-E-R, is under construction in the south of France. It is vastly bigger than the JET. It stands 29 metres high and is the largest science experiment ever. I wrote about this project in my book in 2007. Will Climate Change Your Life? Still available from all good bookshops, but I don't recommend you buy it as it's very out of date. Anyway, at that time the budget was 5 billion euro. It is now expected to cost about 20 billion euro to construct and to operate for a 20 year period. This sounds a lot of money. But ITER is a joint project between China, the EU, India, Japan, Korea, Russia and the United States. They all recognise that there is an urgent need to find new sources of electricity and for them 20 billion euro is a mere drop in the bucket. Apparently if there was a 10 cent surcharge on every gallon of petrol sold in the US this would take only six weeks to raise enough money to fund the project for its full 20 years. Sadly, and worryingly, the politicians in charge of the purse strings don't seem to appreciate the urgency of the energy crisis. Crisis? What crisis? As a former British Prime Minister is supposed to have asked, just weeks before his government collapsed. He didn't say it, but it was a good headline. 
he wasn't talking about an energy crisis. Roddy Van was talking about an energy crisis, and so was Lord Reedsdale, parliamentarian and chief executive of the Energy Managers Association, when he spoke at a recent meeting of the Northwest Sustainable Business Quarterly. Reedsdale told us that energy was not very interesting, but about to become very interesting indeed. In his view, the collapse in the oil price is a battle between the Saudis and the Canadians. The Canadians have vast amounts of oil, which can be extracted from tar sands, and the Saudis are losing market share. Oil from tar sands is extremely expensive to produce, so the Saudis have pushed down the world price by increasing production, and this has not only hit the viability of the tar sands, but has put the future of the planned pipeline from Canada to Texas, the Keystone XL, in doubt, and bankrupted a number of American fracking operations as well. When the dust settles, expect oil prices to rise by at least 25% within the next 12 months. As far as electricity supply in the UK is concerned, we have a problem. We have insufficient generating capacity because our aged nuclear plants and our old and dirty coal plants are coming to the end of their lives and have to be closed down. Last winter, which was not a particularly harsh winter, the safety margin between the demand and the supply of electricity came right down to 1%. You can't build new power stations overnight, so the outlook for next winter is very worrying. You can install wind power relatively quickly, but the present government seems to have an ideological objection to it. Maybe because of their obsessive commitment to fracking. Local government minister Eric Pickles has called in all recent planning applications for wind turbines so that he can make the final decision. And he's done this whether there is local opposition or not. Are we going to fall back on fracking? We were told that US fracking has achieved a zero return, and with a collapsing oil price this can only get worse. Typically, over 80% of all the gas recovered from a bore comes out in the first year. The only option then is to go and drill somewhere else. This won't be popular in the crowded UK, even in what the Westminster politicians call the desolate northeast. Not that that applies, because there are no potential fracking sites there. They're in the northwest. If there's going to be a shortfall of supply, suppliers may use premium peak time pricing to control demand. Even that may not be enough to avoid blackouts or brownouts. What effect will that have on your business? Can you afford higher energy prices? Have you got a contingency plan, a backup generator, or a UPS battery pack to keep your servers going? As CEO of the Energy Managers Association, Lord Reedsdale understandably promoted the profession. He made the point that there are many energy buyers specialising in obtaining energy at the best possible price. The role of the energy manager is to make sure that it is used in the most efficient way possible. There should be some scope here, given the estimate that 40% of electricity is wasted. Just look at all the lights in empty shops and offices at night. ESOS, the Energy Saving Opportunities Scheme, which came into force this year, is designed to help businesses and other organisations to start eliminating waste. It's likely to be introduced on a softly, softly basis for the first year, but the legislation has teeth. £50,000 fines and defaulting organisations will probably not be given a second chance. It will be interesting to see what comes out of the election debates on energy, 
and if energy is mentioned at all. It's time for a cross-party consensus. The issue is just too serious for any other approach. But do the politicians understand that? Roddy Van took a longer-term and more global view of the energy crisis. He told us that energy is necessary, although not sufficient, for solving the world's problems of population, food, water, waste and so on. While population is undeniably growing, although at a declining rate, the key issue is the growth in the middle class. I learnt recently that of the 7.2 billion global population, 2.5 billion people will move into the middle class by 2030. These people have aspirations to a Western lifestyle. They wish to eat, to consume and to travel in the same way as the developed world does now. This is where a phenomenal demand for energy will come from. At the moment, the average US citizen uses 33 times as much energy as the average Bangladeshi. The potential increase in demand is enormous. We also have to achieve this while decarbonising our economies and moving away from fossil fuels because, as I've commented elsewhere on previous episodes, if all fossil fuels are burnt, then their emissions will drive climate change completely out of control. We need more renewable energy. We need more low-carbon energy, like nuclear fusion. We will probably also make significant energy savings by moving to electric cars in the relatively near future, and I'm going to devote an episode to that in a few weeks' time. Already models are available with a range of up to 300 miles. Electric cars can be recharged at motorway service areas, and it takes only 30 minutes, a coffee break, to restore 80% of the charge. In future, cars plugged into chargers could return small amounts of power to the grid in times of peak demand. A very small amount from a very large number of cars could smooth the peak and avoid the need for massive power stations to be kept idling in case demand surges. One interesting statistic that Roddy Van quoted was that the design of the national electricity grid depends on our favourite soap operas. The cost of electricity is determined more by the cost of the grid infrastructure than the cost of the electricity itself. When East Enders comes to an end, or Corrie reaches a commercial break, viewers rush out, put the kettle on and make a cup of tea. This surge in demand defines the capacity of the cables installed by the national grid. It means that the commercial cost of electricity during those two or three minutes is 12 times the normal rate. It means that we have to import electricity from France in order to meet the peak. People blame the BBC for all sorts of things. It's clearly responsible for the energy crisis as well. Please don't write all this off as more gloom and doom. If we can foresee problems, we can plan solutions. Something as simple as a backup generator or an uninterruptible power supply is a good start. It's important to implement the type of energy audit required by ESOS and find ways of managing and reducing your energy consumption. Because, let's face it, energy is going to get more and more expensive and probably less reliable. I told you not to bother buying my book. Here's one you should read. Sustainable Energy Without the Hot Air. Written by David Mackay, former Chief Scientific Advisor to the UK Government, you can buy it from your favourite bookshop or 